You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is wonderful to be with you, City on a Hill. If you are new or visiting, my name is Guy, and joy and privilege as always to serve uh, as the pastor of this church, a church committed to knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Uh, a special good day to those who are joining us for the first time. Uh, a special shout out to those who are with us online. And as a special treat today, we are going live uh, to two of our City on a Hill churches. So can we make a lot of noise as we welcome City on a Hill Melbourne East and City on a Hill Wollongong. Let's put our hands together. Hope you guys can hear the love. We're so thankful for you and love that we can connect in God's Word together. Uh, Today is uh, the last in our series, The Vine, The Trellis and The Crow. By show of hands, who's enjoyed this series? Great to see and really, really encouraged just to hear and to see how God has been at work in people's lives. Uh, This series uh, really felt God laid on my heart, you know, (laughs) last year and just loved uh, opening the Bible with you and really uh, considering what it looks like to build a life where we're putting Jesus at the center. Uh, And as we've already heard today, uh, today doesn't end the journey of discipleship. Uh, We are called as God's people into this dynamic and glorious relationship where we're walking with Jesus and pursuing Jesus and Lord willing, by His grace, And the power of His Spirit growing to become more and more like Jesus. So we kicked off this series, you will recall, in John chapter 15 with the vision uh, of this beautiful vine bearing fruit. And it was an encouragement to us all that God has made us all to flourish in Jesus. And yet we've also seen that this won't happen by accident. Uh, without grace-inspired effort, without spiritual dif- uh, disciplines and uh, grace-centered rhythms, we are prone to drift, we are prone to wander, and so we need a trellis to hold up our life and to help us grow together. And we've looked at some of the spiritual disciplines along the way. We've considered spiritual examination. We've talked about gospel encouragement. Uh, We've talked about a rhythm of work and rest and about the importance of strategic withdrawing so we can then pour ourselves out in ministry and love towards others. 
This morning, as I close out this series, we're not going to be talking so much about any one uh, spiritual discipline, but more a mindset and a vision that we should have uh, over the banner of our discipleship. Right? We will, of course, talk about a few practices and disciplines, but really what we're talking about today is a mindset and a vision that you want over all of your life when it comes to growing in Jesus. And what is that vision? It's the realization that in Jesus, we exist in the now and the not yet. Right? Let me hear you say now. Let me hear you say, not yet. Right? So we have to live in the realization that we have a now, we also have a not yet. Uh, If you just live in the now as a Christian, you're going to miss the essence of our hope and our future glory. If, however, you just think about the not yet, you may miss the present moment and present opportunities. Discipleship is a bit like riding a bike that needs a left, a left pedal and a right pedal. Right? As we move forward in our faith, we need to move forward with a realization that we're all moving in this now and this not Yeah. So for those of you who like taking notes, I've broken today's message down into two parts, and we're going to begin with a look at the not yet. Now, if you've ever taken a road trip uh, with kids or, I don't know, a grumpy teenager, I'm sure at some point along the road trip, if it's a long road trip, you're going to hear them yell out, what? Are we there yet? Right? Like I could have packed the car for an 18-hour drive to Queensland, and we haven't even got out of Box Hill and they're already saying, are we there yet? Are we yet? Are we there? Now, if you're a Christian, if you have a, a life in Jesus, it is worth stopping ever so often from the busyness of life to ask, are we there yet? When it comes to where we're going, when it comes to our destiny, when it comes to the promises of Scripture, we should stop ever so often and ask ourselves, are we there yet? Have we reached the final destination? And what is the answer? No. You, me, we are not there yet. We are in what the Bible calls the last days. Right? We are in the last days. That's the biblical language for this era, this generation that you are part of. It's called the last days. In other words, the journey has begun. If you're in Jesus, the road trip has begun. Right? You're out of Victoria now. You've gone through Dubbo. Maybe you can see the big pineapple, right? You're on the journey, but we're not there yet. And this is interesting, and you'll actually pick this up if you read the New Testament, in the ways that the the writers of the New Testament addressed the early church. When talking to the early church, they are often using language like, to you exiles, you sojourners, you foreigners, right? For example, 1 Peter. Peter said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's writing to those who are, what? Elect exiles. Uh, And in chapter 2, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Um, What is a sojourner? 
What is an exile? Ordinarily, these words would be used to describe someone who was a temporary resident in a foreign place. So Peter's addressing the church as temporary residents in a foreign place. And he's not talking in this moment geographically. He's not actually speaking about a physical reality of where he's making a spiritual point. He's saying it doesn't really matter if you live in Melbourne, if you live in Malaysia, if you live in Malvern. Like it really doesn't matter where you live, where you work, where you've established yourself. You are all, if you're a Christian, a temporary resident in a foreign place. And so City on Hill, let me ask you, where is your true home? Bible says our citizenship is in where? Heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. Hebrew says, here we have no lasting city. We seek a city that is to come. We seek a city that is to come. A few years ago, my wife and I took the plunge and bought our first family home. Um, the house is a little over 100 years old. Uh, was advertised as a development opportunity, uh, which is like marketing speech for it's a knockdown. Um, but walking on in uh, and looking at our budget, Ness and I said, yeah, this will be perfect. This will be great for us. And uh, one of the things that I realized, you know, because you do all the house inspections, you talk to a lot of agents, you get used to how they try and, you know, woo you and bring you in. And one of the things I notice is that whenever you're kind of walking around with an agent and they can kind of see you like the place, they'll turn to you and they'll say, is this your forever home? Is this your forever home? Now, Mitchum's great. Like we've got a train station, a subway We've even got our own Woolsworth. Like, it's just, it's all there. But is it my, is it our forever home? No, we seek a city that is to come. Does this mean then, am I saying that Christians should cheap this world, uh, treat this world like a cheap motel? No. Right? Christians shouldn't be indifferent to other people. We shouldn't be indifferent to creation. We shouldn't be indifferent to our jobs. None of those things. No, no, no. But we should always be looking at our lives through the lens of eternity. You need to take a moment because the world is not geared this way. The world is geared to just like what's here in front of you. The, right? But if you're a Christian... And Jesus was always doing this with his disciples. If you're a Christian, you have to look at your life through the lens of eternity. I was at City Uni um, a couple of weeks back now, and Jin asked me a question. He said, Guy, what's your favorite sermon illustration? Right? And I had never, kind of cool question. And I'm like, well, the, I don't know if it's my favorite, but the first question that jumped into my mind, that first illustration, was an illustration I saw Francis Chan do uh, years and years ago. Years and I've never used this illustration in my life. I've met Francis Chan. He's a great guy, loves Jesus. And, uh, he, you know, he gets this rope like this. And he says, uh, you know, I want you just to imagine that this rope just goes on forever and ever. It just goes on and on. And this is the longest rope I could find. Um, <laughs> but just imagine it just goes on and on all the way to Queensland, right? It just goes on. And, and then just imagine that this rope serves as a, something of a picture of your existence. Existence. 
right? Like, like your time. And, and, and it just goes on, right? Like we, we exist. We go on and on forever. And then look at this little red part. It might be hard for you guys to see it at the back. And if you could zoom on in for you guys at Melbourne East and Wilgon, right? This little red part here in this rope represents your time here on earth, right? These are the days that we're in right now. This represents our existence before all of this. And what Francis Chan so helpfully points out, you know, like it just blows his mind and blows my mind to think that we spend so much time being consumed by this, focused on the this. You know, and there's all that stress about when you're in high school and then you get to university and you think, well, if I study really hard and I work really, really hard, maybe I can save up enough money to just enjoy this bit here. Right? Not recognizing that if you are in Jesus, like this is not irrelevant, this is important, but if you're in Jesus, you have all of this to come. So what is this going to be like? That's a great question to ponder, and Christians should reflect on that and talk about that. What will this be like? Well, let's just look at one passage, which we did, we brought up and we heard earlier from Revelation. Love Revelation, which is a look into the not yet. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, lots we could unpack here. Maybe one thing to note about the new heavens, it says there's no longer any sea. Right? That sounds kind of strange to us, particularly we're on an island here surrounded by waters. What does that mean? Well, in the ancient world, the sea was this unknowable, deep, unsearchable, dark place. It's the land of the unknown. It's the uncertain the unpredictable. It's a place of disorder. It's often the symbol for chaos. Uh, And that's worth reflecting on when you consider your life now as a disciple of Jesus, right? The reason life is hard for you, the reason discipleship is difficult, the reason sometimes you can build a rule of life which on paper looks perfect, but in reality just keeps falling apart, is because in the now, we face these waves. In the now, we're disrupted. In the now, we, we press up against chaos, right? We know in the Bible that the creation is groaning. It's under this like curse from sin. We know there's wars and division and, and we not only experience this chaos without, we also experience this chaos within. I, I love this quote um, from uh, The Rule of Life from Jordan Peterson. He says it like this, chaos is the foreigner, the stranger, the member of another gang, the rustle in the brush, uh, brushes in the nighttime, the monster under the bed, the hidden anger of your mother and the sickness of your child. Chaos is the despair and horror you feel when you have been profoundly betrayed. It's the place you end up when things fall apart, when your dreams die, your career collapses or your marriage ends. It's the underworld of fairy tale and myth where the dragon and the gold it guards eternally coexist. Chaos is where we are when we don't know where we are and what we are doing when we don't know what we are doing. When the ice you're skating on is solid, that's order. 
when the bottom drops out and things fall apart and you plunge through the ice, that's chaos. That's chaos. Have you experienced chaos in your life? Have you had moments where it felt like the floor broke under your feet? That's a reality of life in this age. But do you see the promise? Do you see the not yet? Do you see that a day is coming where the sea is no more? And, and, and significantly for you who are in Jesus, this, this not yet not only signals an end to chaos and disorder, but actually a, a transformation that we experience in ourselves. So for example, in verse 2, the writer says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Similarly, in chapter 19, we read, Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. What is the bridal language in Revelation about? It's a picture of the church of Jesus Christ made holy, made pure, made righteous. It's a picture of your future self, your future reality, pure, holy, righteous. Right? I love how Philippians 3 continues. It says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour. The Lord Jesus Christ, who, what's going to happen? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. In the age to come, your life, your mind, your emotions, your desires, your body is made new. You don't just enter into glory, you become glorious. You become glorious. Glorious. Now, don't mishear me. If you have put your faith in Jesus, and I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus, you already now have the righteousness of Christ. You've been crowned with righteousness. You, you have God's forgiveness. You have been made new, right? You've been washed clean. You've been born again. This is what you have now. But isn't it true that in the now but not yet, we can find ourselves still wrestling with ourselves. We can find ourselves still struggling with insecurity and doubt. We can find ourselves getting caught up in the skirmish of our old life and our new life, the battle with the temptations of the world, the lies of the devil, the, the pushing and pulling of our flesh. We, we feel that now, but, but the promise for you that is laid out in the gospel of Jesus that a day is coming where you will be righteous and you'll know that glory not in part but in full no longer listen no longer will you walk in shame no longer will you walk in guilt no longer will you feel a slave to somebody else's expectation. 
No longer will you wrestle with anxiety and, and, and that worldly fear. No longer will you be hung up on things that don't matter. You will enter glory and you will be glorious. That's not to say you're going to lose your personality or what makes you unique. It's just that in your uniqueness and in your personality will be a perfected, glorified love, kindness, joy, courage, strength. Like a city on a hill, you will shine. And also note the... Note the intimacy that we will then enjoy with God. I know at times as a Christian, and you know, sometimes we've expressed this in the Q&A, that it can feel like God is distant. Sometimes we can feel detached from God. We might even doubt God. And we're laboring in our prayers, and we're laboring in our Bible readings, and we wonder, is God, where? look at what is coming. John says, they, that's the church, will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and note this so beautiful he will wipe every tear from their eyes no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away just take a moment to see this to feel this moment to experience it do you see the intimacy the closeness of a father wiping away tears from the cheek of a child. The warmth, you feel the warmth of his embrace. Now we see God in part, then we will rest and know him in full. Then we will know love as love was always intended to be. God will see you, know you. You will know, see him, feel him, embrace him. The whole point of this series, the vine, the trellis, and the crow, is to help you recognize that life is found in God. That's the whole point of the vine, the trellis, and the crow, is to help strip away all the garbage of your life, the distractions of your life, and center everything on Jesus. Why? Why are we all about Jesus? Because you were made for him. Every question, every adventure, every love, every desire is ultimately pulling you upwards toward him. And often we, we struggle in life and fall in life and get trapped in life when we forget our home and give in to other things and lesser passions, false gods, counterfeit joys. You need a rule of life to remind you that here we have no lasting city. We seek a city that is to come. You need a rule of life to preach the gospel to your heart and mind to say, I'm made for Jesus. I'm walking a countercultural life. I wasn't made for this world. I don't belong to this age. I belong to Jesus. And by God's grace and in the security of his salvation, that day will come. Do you know that nothing can separate you? There is n if you're in Jesus today, if you've put your faith in Jesus, listen, there is nothing that can take that away from you. 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans. 10,000 years from now, you're going to be in the presence of God, swimming in an ocean of his grace. How many of you know that is good news? How many are taking time in the rhythms of their days, in the rhythms of their years to stop and remember I'm made for God and that day is coming and it's going to be good. I love the words of Billy Graham, the great Billy Graham. Such a dude. He says this. Someday you'll read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I'll have just changed my address. I'll have gone into the presence of God. This is what awaits us all if you are in Christ Jesus. This is what we have to look forward to in the not yet. Celebrate that. Rejoice that. Be thankful for that. What does that mean for the now? How does the not yet shape your now, your everyday work, relationships, life, passions, pursuits? What does it mean? Let me land this plane with three uh, words of encouragement about the now. We've talked a lot, haven't we, about practical ways to live and so much that we could share here and love to keep this conversation going. Here's three things I think will be helpful for you in the now as we await the not yet. So here's the first. I'm convinced that a Christian should resist cynicism and a life of comparison and choose thankfulness. I'm convinced a Christian should practice thankfulness. Hebrews 12, 28, such a helpful text here, says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. What is the implication of knowing that you're not yet is coming and it's going to be glorious? It's certain. It's God's kingdom. It's joy. It's a fountain of his blessing. What is the implications of that kingdom that we are receiving? A posture of gratitude and thankfulness. Now, the writer of Hebrews is not blind to the challenges of everyday life. Let's not forget that Elsewhere in Hebrews, he talks about Christians losing their jobs. He talks about Christians being persecuted. At one point, he talks about Christians being sawn in two. So he knows the realities of difficulty and, and chaos. That, But did that, did that rob their joy in Christ? Did any of those persecutions diminish the living hope that they had in Christ Jesus? No, because they were receiving a kingdom that could not be shaken. If you want to ruin your life, if you want to ruin your life, spend your days talking about all that's going wrong. Just give your attention to everything that's going wrong in your life. Talk about that. Meditate on that. Better yet, scroll social media and just look at what everybody else is doing and having and compare your life to them. And A Christian is not like that. 
A Christian doesn't need to sit in the spin cycle of comparison and cynicism. A Christian shouldn't and doesn't need to spend their days being consumed by bitterness and anger. A Christian is somebody empowered by the Spirit who is secure in the future kingdom and therefore chooses thankfulness. Are there things in my life that frustrate me? Absolutely. Are there times where I feel disappointed? 100%. Am I grumpy? Yes. Right? There are all kinds of things that can frustrate me. But isn't it easier to kind of like fix our attention on those things? And often it's the most negative voices that speak the loudest. And it's easy, isn't it, to highlight what's wrong? Like it doesn't take me more than a thought to identify what's going wrong in my life. What requires practice, what requires obedience, what requires a move of the Spirit is a, is a willingness. When, you know, when those negative voices come to say, no, I'm made for Jesus, I'm secure in Jesus, and therefore I practice thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm alive today. Thank you, Jesus, that there's oxygen in my lungs and a beat in my heart. Thank you, Jesus, that despite my sin and failings, I have the righteousness of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that even though this world has its good moments, but its hard moments, my life, the kingdom is secure. What does that practice of thankfulness look like in your life? Right? Thankfulness is not just a natural response to a good experience. Thankfulness is a choice. It's a practice. What is it going to look like in your life? It could look like starting every morning by writing down three words of thankfulness. It could look like, and we've talked a lot about the prayer of examine. And I love praying the prayer of examine each night because when I lay my head on the pillow and walk back through my day in the presence of God, I'm invited by God to look at the everyday moments and thank Him. Instead of just thinking about what is next or what is difficult or what I don't have, thankfulness invites me to rejoice in what I do have in Jesus. Listen, don't wait to heaven to express your gratitude. Are you going to be really thankful when you get there? It's going to be awesome. Choose thankfulness today. Second, I've got three. Second, start with the biggest rock. Uh, one of the challenges I've found, we've found, I'm sure we've all found, is trying to work out in life, what do I give my time to? We all in this room have the exact amount of time per day, per week. So what do I give my time to? Because the world is telling me to prioritize this. Perhaps a parent is telling me to prioritize that. Maybe a teacher at school or uni is telling me to prioritize this. Uh, Our boss at work is probably telling us to prioritize that. And so life can feel like running from one priority to the next, one thing to the next. And, And often it feels like we just can't fit everything in. 
Yeah, I've got, I've got friends to keep up with. I've got a job to maintain. I've got to look after my health. I've got to watch my study. I've got to manage my finances. And we try and run to all of these things, trying to kind of squeeze everything in. And that can be exhausting, but also unfruitful. And so what is crucial when it comes to building a healthy rule of life um, is not so much found in, in, in what to do, but what not to do. If you're serious about building a healthy rule of life, you need to know that not just what to do, but also what not to do. Another way of saying that is you've got you've to say yes to some things in your life, of course. But your yes will be useless if you haven't also built a practice of saying no. Uh, I've... This is a, like a helpful, very common illustration. We've got an image for it up. But I've always found um, the illustrations of the rocks and the jars to be a very helpful metaphor in at least thinking this through and working out what is most important. Uh, the big round uh, rocks uh, signify what should be most important or what is most important, whereas the smaller rocks, the pebbles, the sand are, are things that are less important. And so what do you put in first when it comes to filling the jar, when it comes to filling your life? If you put in the, the pebbles and the sand first, there's rarely going to be any room for the rocks. And this is where a lot of people get tripped up in life. The jar of their life is filled with lots and lots of sand and lots and lots of pebbles. And maybe it's filled up with those things because they've never stopped to actually think about their life and the life that they're living. Maybe it's because um, they're trying to satisfy somebody else's expectations on what they should do. But the end result is they're doing a lot of things. They've jammed their life with a lot of things, but have never really considered what should be their main thing. And tragically, people can get all the way to the end of their life and they look back and say, man, I, I did this and I did that, but I missed the main thing. And that's a tragic way to spend your now. Um, but obviously what this illustration is helping you to see that if you start with the big rocks, if you put in place what is most important, then and only then will you be able to fit the other things around it. So the obvious, significant, big question every single disciple of Jesus has to be asking regularly is this. What is the most important thing in your life right now? Uh, what should be the main rock that's first before anything else. Or let's put this another way. When you get to the end of your life and you are standing in the presence of Jesus and you're looking back on the years, decades that you had, what do you hope would be the one thing that shines head and shoulders above the rest? What would that one thing be? Your results at university? Um, where you reached on the org chart of your company, the amount of cash that you have in your super fund, uh, maybe the Instagram reel of all the places you got to visit, uh, maybe the amount of cars and homes that you bought. Um, they're not nothing. They're not nothing. But are they the main thing? Should they be first? 
Well, I hope you know what Jesus is going to want to talk to you about before all of those other things. What is of most importance in your life, please hear this, is your relationship and your faith and your life in Jesus. Jesus himself said to his disciples who were pushed and pulled by so many things in the world, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? It means that your relationship with God must be first. First in order, first in priority, first in importance. Do right, you remember the, the word that Jesus had with the church in Ephesus? Right, this great church and doing lots of cool things, but the problem was they'd filled their lives with a lot of pebbles and sand. And so Jesus challenges them saying, you have forsaken your first love. That's not to say that they became a bunch of pagans. It's to say that Jesus was relegated to the second, third, fourth order in their life. And so what did Jesus say? He said, repent and do the works that you did at first. The intentionality of reading your Bible, the, the hunger and thirst to go to God and bring every need to him in prayer. The commitment to work hard and to rest in his presence. Uh, the, the willingness to pursue Christian community and invest in meaningful life and relationships with others. The, the willingness to put up your hand and serve and, and to give and to take on a posture of growth and learning in Jesus. Your relationship with God must be first. He has to be the big rock. And so if you've been in this series and haven't yet put together a rule of life, do that and start with God. Of all the different things that we've talked about, of all the things that are going on in your life, please start with God. Or maybe you have a rule of life, but you're starting to feel it's a bit overwhelming. I've got this to do and that to do. You know what? Pour out all of the pebbles in the sand for just a moment and come back to God. What what is my relationship with God like right now? What could I put in place right now to fuel my relationship with God, to help keep Jesus at the center? Right? I'm not saying you should neglect study or work. I'm not saying you should neglect your community or managing your finances. Of course, these things are important, but the Bible the Holy Spirit is going to press you over and over again to put Jesus first at the center. I love this quote by John Piper. He puts it like this. He says, all the planets of your life, your sexuality and desires, your commitments and beliefs, your aspirations and dreams, your attitudes and convictions, your habits and disciplines, your solitude and relationships, your labor and leisure, your thinking and feeling, all the planets of your life are held in orbit by the greatness and gravity and the blazing brightness of the supremacy of Jesus Christ at the center of your life. If he ceases to be the bright, blazing, satisfying beauty at the center of your life, the planets will fly into confusion and a hundred things will be out of control and sooner or later they will crash into destruction. 
You exist to know and worship Jesus. Uh, This leads to a third and final point, which we'll finish with. As we await the not yet, there is a call before us all to do something that will echo for all eternity. So as a disciple, I'm seeking to be thankful in my life wherever I go. I'm seeking to put my relationship with Jesus at the center of everything. And because the kingdom of God is secure and that's our final and ultimate and glorious destination, in these days that I have left, and it will go like this, I want to do something that's going to echo for all eternity. Um, How many of you know the story of Arthur Stace? Yeah, a bunch of hands. Uh, Such an encouraging story uh, with a tragic beginning. You know, as a young kid, he lived in this very rough neighborhood in uh, Sydney. I think it was around the 1800s, 1884. Uh, Both of his parents were alcoholics. He's neglected as a kid. Um, And as you might imagine, he's just kind of falls into this life of hardship and difficulty where he's kind of stuck, you know, before the courts and then in prison and then on the streets and then he's back before the courts and he's, you know, addicted to alcohol and he's, you know, his life is just stuck in this very, very terrible place. And one day he's, he's walking the streets of Sydney and he hears that this church is offering a free morning tea. He can get a free cup of tea, a free cookie and thinks, wow. And so he goes along. And he sits through the service and he hears this preacher up the front talking about the gospel of Jesus, talking about the good news that Jesus lives for us, Jesus died for us all and has risen that we could have life in him and that there's a future glory in him. And, and this changes Arthur's life. It, it transforms him. He recognizes that life matters. He recognizes that as a human being, he matters. And what's awesome is that he embraces this good news, not only for himself, but for those around him. God births within him a passion to not just know this Jesus, but to make this Jesus known. And so what does a guy like this do? He spends his days writing one word on the streets of Sydney. What is that one word? Eternity, eternity, eternity. It's said that he could barely write, he's illiterate, so it was barely, could barely write out his own name. Yet for some reason, God had gifted him an ability to write eternity in this beautiful copper plate font. And he wrote it. Ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times. He writes this for 37 years of his life. And it's just quite supernatural to think that in 1999, New Year's Eve, before we entered into 2000, with all of Sydney and the world celebrating, looking on, what do they put up on the Sydney Harbour Bridge? This image. Eternity. Right? Incredible. Incredible. Don't you love people like this? Aren't they the kinds of people that inspire us? You know that Jesus has called you to know him, to make him known, to live in light of eternity. Um, 
Last weekend, I um, had the opportunity to speak at our Western uh, Regional Gathering, um, you know, with the churches from Melbourne West and uh, uh, Whittington uh, and uh, Geelong and uh, City on a Hill. Did I mention Melbourne West? Yeah. Ballarat. I mean, all, it was fantastic. Surf Coast. Surf Coast was there. It was actually a very special treat for City on a Hill Surf Coast. I don't know if you know this. They ordinarily every Sunday meet outside. Right? Rain, hail or shine, they're outside. And this was special because we had a roof. So it was a great moment for that. And it was significant. My wife and I were there and our kids were there. And um, when this church started, it was nine, almost 10 people. By God's grace, it's nine, almost 10 churches right now. And that's God working powerfully through men and women. And what was really cool is we got to pray for and hear from Ben and Suja. You know, Ben and Suja were part of our church for a year here. Um, tremendously warm, encouraging gospel people. And in God's grace and empowered by the Spirit, have resolved to move and have now moved to Ballarat uh, to seed our very next City on a Hill church. And it's incredible because we had people from Ballarat coming to us asking, could you plant a church in Ballarat? We need the gospel here. This opportunity. You know, and Ben and Suja and the family said, yeah, we'll go. We'll go. Is a step like that easy? No. Is selling up stuff and finding new schools and getting new... Is that easy? No. And yet they're trying to live their life in light of eternity. Trying to make a difference that will echo for all eternity. And Ben, I don't know if you've heard this already. They've started some Sunday services. I think last weekend they had about 80 people already coming together in their new community. And Ben shared that they're preparing now for their very first baptism, which is going to happen in a few, few weeks. Praise God for that, I think. Now, am I saying that you should plant a church? Not necessarily. <laughs> but I am saying that you should choose a life and do something that will echo for all eternity. What is that going to look like in your life today? Maybe it's a resolve to give very generously to fuel kingdom work in this country. Maybe it's a resolve to be bold in your workplace and to shine the light of Christ with truth and integrity. Maybe it's a resolve to carve into your life moments of extended prayer to pray that God would open doors for the gospel of Jesus. Maybe it's a resolve to serve that neighbor down the road with compassion and unexpected kindness. Maybe it's a resolve to invite that non-Christian friend to join us for our next sermon series kicking off next week. Maybe it's a resolve to give leadership a go, to put up your hand and say, I want to lead a gospel community or I'm going to open up my home and help other people come together around the gospel of Jesus. Maybe it's a resolve to put up, to roll up your sleeves and do something in this world that pushes back darkness with the light of Christ. Maybe it's a resolve to not live for yourself, but behind the scenes to serve with a sacrificial Christ-centered heart, to, to love and be kind and to be generous in such a way that people might see your good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. 10,000 years from now, we in Christ will be in glory. 
10,000 years from now, you are going to know a joy and a love like never before. We have a few short days left. Only one, CT Studd said this, only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.